Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is George Cooper and welcome to the show. Now, as the rain poured down on a grey and dreary Brighton, Fulham looked to be sleepwalking to another defeat in the league this year. Evan Ferguson put the Seagulls 1-0 up and half-time could not come soon enough. However, do not fear, Marco Silva fired up the hairdryer to put some life into our boys in pink. An inspired magical triple substitution followed a Jao Paulinho rocket to ensure that our men took a share of the points home with us. The Seasiders arguing that he shouldn't have even been on the pitch, but we'll come on to that, I'm sure. Plenty to discuss today. We'll cover all the action from the Brighton game. We'll also do a little preview of the Ipswich game in the Carabao Cup, which is coming right up, and answer some of your listener questions. Joining me today is the one and only Dan Cook. How you doing, mate? I'm doing good, Coops. Feeling pretty smug, actually, this morning. It's quite a nice feeling. How you doing? I'm all right. Were you scrolling through Brighton Twitter? Is that... I absolutely was. <laughs> I'm also here with Isabel Barker. How are you, Is? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I am fantastic. And the one and only Elizabeth Barnard. Are you doing well? I'm doing good. Excellent. I believe you also have some three-word reviews for us, if you wouldn't mind kicking off. Yes, I very much do. Um, starting off with Kieran McGinley's Gritty in Pink, um, which I think is perfect. Nice. Um, I've also got from Pterodactyl, Flamingos, Mug, Seagulls, also about the pink kit. You can see there's a theme going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got from Dan Green, Commentary Hates Fulham. Anyone who was watching from the sofa yesterday um, will know that that was very much the case. And then finally, we'll end with another reference to the pink kit. Zhao is Kenuff, a little Barbie reference. Oh, very good. <laughs> Elizabeth, what did you think of the pink kit? It's lurid, to say the least. Yeah, I would say it's maybe the best thing we've ever done as a football club. I love it so much. (laughs) I knew you were a fan. I mean, Dan, when I saw the pictures from my uh, television of that grey and drizzly Amex and after the first 45 that we put in, I have to say I was feeling pretty smug and uh, glad that I wasn't there. However, obviously things changed and uh, it looked like a fantastic afternoon for all those that travelled. But I mean, that first half was, I was going to say, it's the worst 45 minutes of football that we've put in this season. Would you agree? Potentially, yeah. I think that the, the disappointing thing was that we just didn't lay a glove on them. Like that, that was the problem with it and at times you know Fulham this season have put in poor performances in possession it was the fact that we were so meek and timid out of possession as well in that first half that was disappointing the amount of times it was so easy for Brighton to play out so much time you know we weren't even putting any pressure on at all and that was telling in the first in their goal you know our lack of intensity the amount of time that Brighton had on it it was just I, I don't imagine that Marco sent us out to do that I think it was just poor application and and it was that was disappointing and I was with Sammy I was sat next to Sammy yesterday and we were both feeling pretty glum at half time it felt very bleak is what did you feel went wrong with the way that we set up and looked to start this game because we had a few changes come in Pereira bench the Roby starting at number 10 as many people thought that he would on the face of it I would quite like the lineup I thought okay let's let's really give it a game to Brighton but what do you think just wasn't clicking in that in that first half that Marco perhaps 
uh, rectified in seconds. Yeah, I agree with you off the bat. Um, I was pleased with how we came into the game, pleased with how we set up. I thought it was pretty predictable, as you'd said. Um, the likes of Pereira coming out, I think Silver had made that quite obvious in his press conference that, you know, he wants more from the likes of Pereira and it was time for a bit of a shake-up. Um, collectively, what stood out to me is the fact that we looked erratic on the ball. We were lacking this kind of aggression um, and there was a lot of individual mistakes. So it was kind of this whole collective thing that that stood out for me. Um, and that was something that Silver addressed going into half time. I think that half time was absolutely crucial for us. Um, and actually in his press conference after the match, those were the things he picked out. He said we were being way too kind of wild on the ball. We, we were lacking that bite. Um, and obviously the likes of Anthony Robinson were culprit of some glaring mistakes. And um, yeah, I just think we really needed that half time to regroup. Um, but those were the things that, that stood out to me. Mm, Elizabeth, do you feel on balance we were lucky to be going into the break with just the one goal deficit? Yeah, I do think so. It was pretty dismal, wasn't it? Um, Leno made a pretty good save early on. That easily could have been a goal. Um yeah, I felt relieved that it was only one, but at half time, I had no confidence whatsoever that we'd be able to turn it around. Yeah, I, the only flip I'll add of it is as sort of meek as we were and, and the intensity that we lacked, our defence pretty stayed pretty resilient throughout that half when we were on the back foot. Brighton had all of the ball. I thought Calvin Bassey and Tim Ream put together their best performance as a pair yesterday. And Although we looked shaky, we rarely afforded Brighton a clear-cut opportunity. I think the, the best chance, the clearest opportunity they actually had was the goal. And otherwise, Bassey and, and Tim Ream were superb as a pair, especially considering Anthony Robinson's trials and tribulations in that first half. And that Matoma looked like he had the better of Timothy Castagna for the majority of that, that first half as well. So as the centre-back pair deserve a lot of credit because I thought actually, despite all of the ball, they never really put Leno under a huge amount of pressure. Mm, no, I would agree with you there, Dan. Is Do you suspect that we'll see the Bassi and Ream partnership moving forward from now? Is that is that you feel our best centre-back pairing? Yeah, I think just going off what Dan said then, at the very least, like, what that game showed, the first half showed was a marker that this team, this defensive um pairing does have the makeup to kind of grit through and hold on at least to get to that crucial halftime point so it, and I'd, I'd covered Brighton midweek with the Ajax game and they just look so dominant and the thing with Brighton is is once they score the kind of the floodgates open so for us to hold on for that defensive pairing to, to hold on was you know props to them um I guess I, I would say so. I think Silver will go with that going forward. Um, I guess he kind of doesn't have too much choice, really. But yeah, I'd say so going forward. I think there are a lot of similarities between Fulham and Brighton in their playing styles. You know, we like to play from the back. We have this sort of like a high pressing game, fluid in attack, attacking football. So I think that on paper, this could have been a really sort of exciting, exhilarating contest for the for the neutral. It didn't necessarily pan out that way. But, you know, with the quality that Brighton have at their disposal, they could just turn it on at any minute. And we'll come on to the goal now. Elizabeth uh, Ferguson, I mean... Dan, you said that this was the best chance that they had of the game, but I mean, Ferguson still had a hell of a lot to do before he put it in the goal. Do you think there's anything that raises alarms, alarm bells with the way that we conceded that 
goal it was quite direct down the middle or was it just one of those you know a moment of quality from a fantastic young striker for me it was the latter like one of those where I don't think that there was anyone particularly at fault what I will say is I think it flips back to how desperate we look an attack often as soon as that goal was conceded I just thought oh there's just absolutely no chance that we're getting back into this getting one point seemed like a real trial at that point let alone trying to get three because that would mean scoring two goals which is just like not something we could do yeah I had that sinking feeling of dread I can only imagine what that must have been like from the uh from the stands Dan when <laughs> when that goal went in you must have been thinking god we got a hell of a long evening ahead of us yeah and especially because it was coming towards the away end you just see the amount of time Brighton had to drive through the middle and you just, everyone's screaming, oh, get to him, press him, someone do something. And, and it just that seemed to happen in slow motion almost that they just drove forward and it ended up at, at Ferguson's feet. And he does well to get it out and, and finish it with his left foot. But it just, it just felt so, we felt so exposed. And I just can't picture us really scoring a goal like that. It feels like in the Premier League, you should have to work harder to score goals than that. And we were so easy to run through then. And I think it was Peter Rutzler who made a very good point that it's the danger of the way we were playing out from the back where we try and get nice and wide. We try and use our, our wide midfielders. So get the ball out to Bobby is what we did there and tried to use a little triangle of Bobby, Harrison Reed, and Jimenez. We lost it. And then suddenly you've got no one in the middle of the pitch because we're trying to build out wide. And that's what made it so easy for Brighton just to stride through the middle. And then I feel sorry for the back four, because whilst I think they probably could have done more, they were so exposed that they were just trying to fight fires at that point. And Ferguson got free and, and finished well. Yeah. I mean, it was one of those 45 minutes. It just seems to go on for an eternity. I was oh, there like, forever. oh, when is this halftime whistle going to come? I want to go make a cup of tea. I was like, this is just dragging on and on and on. And Fulham, as you said, putting out fires, spinning plates. It was, it was really just a very unpleasant 45 minutes to watch. Now, perhaps the biggest talking point was the assault, um, attempted murder, GBH, whatever. Uh, if you were listening to the commentator on the perfectly legal stream that I was watching, you'd have, you'd have thought that any one of those would have been true. I mean, is I thought he was lucky in that you've seen them given. It's really, really divided opinion, this, this Paulinho red card. So he goes in with the elbow on to a challenge with Gross arguably leading with his elbow. I personally, like Jao Pellini is not the sort of player to, you know, do that deliberately. I don't think he's a, as Marco said in the, uh, in the interview that he did post game, he's a very honest player. I don't think he's gone in there with the intent to hurt gross. I think he's just gone in as he always does, putting everything behind it and has just caught him. I don't also, I also don't think gross is hurt. It, I don't think it's one of those where he just classes into him. He's making a meal of it. Gamesmanship obviously wants to get Paulini sent off. What was your take? Because as I said, on Twitter, it's divided opinion. Brighton, you think that he should have been arrested. Well, what did you think? Yeah, well, when I first saw it from the press box, I was worried. I'm not going to lie, you know, considering what we see VAR reviews for and going back, um, it looked like the sort of thing watching the replay when I had a screen in front of me that he could get a red card for. But the, and, and I was surprised that, you know, no cards were taken out. And I believe there wasn't a VAR review or anything. 
Um, but then looking at the incident, like you say, it's just the momentum of him running, I think, and lunging in for the challenge. He's not, he's not trying to elbow anyone in the face. This is coming from a Muay Thai fighter herself. Um, <laughs> I recognize an elbow when I see one. Um, and also, you know, Deserby is such an animated manager and, and really speaks his mind in press conferences. And he was not bothered about it. Um, he didn't care. He didn't bite on it. So I really don't think there's anything in it. I think Brighton fans need to calm down on Twitter. And I love that montage. I do think, I think we reposted it, Fulhamish reposted it on their Twitter of, um, yeah, let's take another look at Poli- the, the terrible Polina incident and it just goes to his goal. Um, so yeah, I, I suggest Brighton fans watch that one instead. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, it was really funny. Do check it out. It's on our feed. I think it was Fulham, Fulham Born, which was the um, was the original post. It's so funny. And like, you know, when Brighton fans are responding, be like, yeah, no, fair enough. That's that's pretty jokes that, that it's a real it's a real doozy. I think it's just to your point, though, the fact that Zerbi wasn't bothered, didn't mention it in the in the in his post-match interview is, is very, very telling. Um and yeah, the the one thing that I did love, just uh, hang on, just before we move on, are we all in agreement with that? In that it was sort of could have been a red if it had been, then we'd be like, ah, that's a shame. However, ultimately, not a red. Agreed. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't think I don't think that's a clear and obvious error for a start. Yeah. So all the Brighton fans who are thinking that they're definitely going to get some sort of official apology, they're not because it wasn't a clear and obvious error. And secondly, like I've slowed it down and I've watched it back quite a few times. And Polina starts, goes with that motion of his getting his right arm out, which is going to shoulder barge Pascal Gross until just as it gets to the point where it's going to be a shoulder barge, Gross drops his shoulder to turn, which Polina doesn't anticipate, which means suddenly the shoulder on shoulder becomes what is more bicep on cheek as opposed to elbow in face. Like, like you can tell instantly by Pascal Gross's reaction that all that's happened is he's had a little bit of a push from a side of someone's arm in the face and he gets up pretty quickly after pretending to feel the side of his face. There's no way he believed that was a red card. Yeah, yeah. One thing I did love following the, you know, whatever you want to call it, elbow potential red card incident was how... Polinia thrived in this new role of pantomime villain and the shithousing that followed from the remainder of the game in front of a furious Amex. You could just hear the crowd. They were, I believe they were singing same old Fulham always cheating and, uh, you know, Fulham notorious for cheating across the year. We're up there with Atletico Madrid, Millwall <laughs> as some of the biggest shit. Like what, where's that come from? I mean, Elizabeth, <laughs> Did you love it as much as I did? This shout out, he was time wasting. He was staying down. He was playing up to the crowd. I I personally am all here for it. Yeah, of course I loved it. Um, I also loved it because the commentators were so annoyed. Um, It was just so enjoyable. Literally any single thing he'd do, there'd be like a Javelinia who shouldn't be on the pitch. It was so funny. Um, The... Commentators did say that there was a VAR checked and that was it was cleared. Oh, but then they also said at half time that there wasn't a VAR check. So like I don't know what's true. Um but mm. I think there is a possibility that it was checked and cleared. Yeah, on match of the day, Danny Murphy that match day two, Danny Murphy said that it'd been uh, seen by the ref, checked by the official and VAR. So all three were in agreement, so therefore end of discussion. So but I mean there seems to be a bit of confusion as to whether or not it was. But I mean you know, it's not like VAR, is it? To have some sort of communication error. But, um, but yeah, Dan? 
I think what makes it all the sweeter as well, Coops, is that not only did he play up to this shithousery and, you know, time waste, put in heavy challenges, he did it whilst dropping like a 12 out of 10 performance, yeah, which was yeah. like, like, you know, you can you can say everything you want about the quality of this Brighton team, the ability they have in midfield and up front. Jarpolini was the best player on the pitch yesterday by a comfortable distance. He was exceptional. And I think that's what has, has pissed them off even more is that they witnessed a midfield masterclass from the best midfielder outside any top six club in the league. Had he not been in the side, had he received a red card, we'd have gone on to lose that game four or five oh, yeah. nil, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was his fi- in his 50th appearance to the club, no less. He made 10 tackles in that game, which is the most of any player in a Premier League fixture so far this year. Uh, 16 duels won. He was just an absolute animal and a fabulous goal to top it off is. Yeah, like the thing um Polinia is is that he's this, uh, he's the best tackler in the um Premier League by a country mom. And he also just has this like ability to score absolute screamers. <laughs> and the thing with him, I just love watching him because he's so he's such a bruiser, but he's really graceful and like the ball just seems glued to his feet. And it was one of those first halves where it was like, okay, we're really we are really missing Mitrovic still. Like I kind of like, we don't want to keep mentioning it, but it was kind of glaringly obvious that we were missing a man like Mitrovic. And then when Polinia scored and he just celebrated with all the fans when the rain was like lashing down on him in this hot pink kit, I was like, <laughs> that was a Mitro moment. And I was like, okay, with, when Polinia's playing like that, we can say bye to Mitrovic and we can put that behind us because it was, yeah, it was such a good moment. Yeah, he does seem to pull it out of the bag when it's, Pissing it down with rain. Have you noticed that? Beautiful. My images of Palinia <laughs> celebrating, you know, that intense celebration he has where he's tapping the badges, going crazy. It always seems to be when he's come, when he's absolutely drenched in there. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm sort of wandering off into a bit of a Palinia daydream there, but God, <laughs> I love him so much. A great album name, that Palinia Daydream. Who that? <laughs> I mean, the finish was just fabulous. It was so good. And I don't know what Marco said to the team at halftime, but I think he shoved a few rockets up asses mm-hmm. because it was just a different team coming out, Dan. What, what do you think was the biggest difference between our first half performance and second half performance? What, what changed? What did Marco say? Oh, it's intensity. Like it, it's, it was that decision that, right, we're not just going to watch Brighton play. We're going to try and make something happen. And it's, baffling to say it but I think the the difference potentially might have been stoked by Rodrigo Muniz like and I I think yesterday might have been sadly for a while the day that Raul Jimenez lost the entirety of the fan base (laughs) because he struggled and not all of it's been his fault and he's he's not had all the service that he he needs in order to score goals. But yesterday, his application, I thought, was poor. And he looked like a man that just had no confidence. And it's a bit disappointed because you think what you hope for when a striker's in a bad run of form is that every time they go on the pitch, they're doing everything they possibly can to positively affect the game. And it didn't really feel like Raul had that in him yesterday. He just looked so flat. And then Muniz came on and he just went after Lewis Dunk. Like, he just decided that, right... Chief operator at the back, I'm going to put pressure on Lewis Dunk every time he has the ball. If the ball goes long to me, I might not win it, but I'm going to make it difficult. And it just really just knocked Brighton off a little bit. They just, they had a 20 minute wobble where our intensity, they just couldn't match it. And I think 
it was quite nice to see as well. Andres Pereira looked a different player to me in the the 30 yeah. minutes that he had compared to the nine games previous this season. He looked like he had a new energy about him. He had more quality on the ball. And we said it on the last pod, Coops, but maybe Andreas just needed to rocket up his ass to be dropped out of this team and be told, right, you've got to prove why you need to be in it. Yeah, it certainly worked. New Barnet as well, which I was a big fan of. Yeah, really more, good um, trim. Really good yeah, trim. Yeah, really good trim. Hats off, Andreas, and a good performance. Yeah, Muniz, I thought, look, he was a handful, wouldn't he? And I agree with what you say. I think that very possibly could be the last we see for a little while of, of Raul. I was wondering, Elizabeth, what you, because when he came off, I didn't actually see this, but I saw reports of it on, on X that he looked quite unhappy. He didn't shake um, one of the coaching staff's hands as he was coming off. He maybe threw a little bit of a, um, a kind of tantrum as he came off. What do you think Raul feels of the service that he's getting? Do you think that he acknowledges that he his output isn't where it's expected to be because he, he cuts he cuts a really frustrated figure at the moment and obviously we all want him to do well as a Fulham player and after everything that he's been through but I just wonder whether there's this disjunct between what the club are expecting of him what Raul expects for himself and what Raul thinks he is being given in terms of service yeah I mean he was brought in before Mitrovic left if I remember correctly yeah he was Um, And so he can't have been expecting to come in and be the number one striker at a club, the number one, number nine in a system that's set up to favour a sort of target man that likes to score with his head. So, like, I understand why he's maybe a bit annoyed, but he isn't giving, it doesn't look like he's giving everything on the pitch at all. He is becoming really frustrating to watch. And, like, he also just hasn't scored for nine games we should be expecting more from our strikers. And the fact that he was still getting a start yesterday, like, I mean, it speaks to the lack of options that we have on our bench, but the fact that he was still getting us to start and putting in performance like that is very concerning. But yeah, I don't know what's going on in his head, but I can't imagine he's very happy with what he's been doing. Does Muniz start from now on, do you think, is? It's a tough one. Like, at the very least, like you say, he really ran at Brighton. The good thing about him is he makes a nuisance of himself. <clears throat> he was feisty, kind of doing the dirty work. But I still think Silver is a bit lost when it comes to <clears throat> our striker conundrum. Um, I think the emphasis has kind of been changed when I was speaking to Silver and some of the players. They were kind of trying to take the pressure off just having a main man like Jimenez or like Muniz. Um, and try and look at where in previous seasons other people have tucked into the goals, like Wilson, um, Pereira at times and things like that. And they're trying to make it, you know, more of a team effort. But that's worrying, isn't it? You know, like you said, Elizabeth, we should be able to count on our strikers to give us goals and then the other ones tuck in. But um, yeah, I think it's kind of hold out till January and Silva's just hoping that others pop up now. And um, there's been this shift away from the pressure on Jimenez. And the thing is, obviously, he was brought in before Mitrovic left um, and the whole team and Silva talks about his experience and his experience in the dressing room and the quality he has. Um, but no one is talking about the goals and things like that. So I think we are getting a bit of a reality check now. And I think he he definitely will be phased out. I said that the last time I was on and he still made an appearance at Brian. So <laughs> what do I know? <laughs> we actually had a question for you is from Matt Wall. I was going to 
save it for part two, but seeing as we're talking about it now, it makes sense to bring it up. He asks, am I right in understanding that the Brazilian league's optimal transfer window between seasons is in January? If so, seems logical that Marco will go shopping there in January, January for our striker. Isabel, have you any insights on our prospective targets there or indeed anywhere else? Have you heard any whisperings from, uh, you know, from your job as a sports reporter of, of anyone that we've been linked with? Not to be honest, I haven't heard a great deal. Um, I don't have any scoops on strikers really at the minute. Um, all I do know is just going back to obviously Marco signing that new deal just before the Brighton game. Um, I know that coming with that, um, he has suggested that him and the owners now are absolutely on the same page about funds, about targets, and him signing that new deal was crucial to who we will be getting in in January. Um, it was so important that he signed that new deal because the likes of hopefully getting a better striker now will happen in January. Um, and it was also to keep the current crop of players that we have. Um, so hopefully they will. Marco is believes that they're going to support him fully in finding one in January. So, but we will see. It is Fulham after all. Yeah, it is Fulham after all. I mean, huge, huge news. Obviously that contract, which annoyingly the news dropped about 10 minutes after we'd recorded the pod <laughs> last uh, last weekend, um, which is always fun. But the thing that really strikes me, and I think this is going to be the case until January, until we hopefully give that war chest to Marco that will allow him to bring in some quality in the areas that we speak of. It's just how consistently inconsistent we've been, Dan. We haven't had any same results back to back, if that makes sense, this entire season. We've not put two wins together, not put two losses together, not put two draws together. And we have this resilience, which we really showed against uh, Brighton on the weekend. But at the same time, we just... That you just don't know how we're going to play at all. You have like the games like the, you know, the Arsenal game where we really took it to them. And and then we have games like the Brentford and Chelsea game where we just seem to sort of like fall apart. And there's somewhere in between with, with Brighton. What do you think this inconsistency is, is down to ultimately, if you had to put your finger on um, a few key areas? It's really hard to say. The, beyond like, not just that the inconsistency you talk about, it's like in games, right? Like we're looking at, being unable to put together 90 minutes of good football. We, we're doing either half or neither half, which is like not ideal. Um, I think there's there's still, the, the squad isn't still settled yet. We've still got injuries out. We're lacking sort of game changes off the bench at the moment, given those injuries as well, which I think doesn't help. And we're still trying to work out how to play as, as a team this season. And also we've slightly changed from how we played last season. We're not quite as front foot as we were last year. And I think that's probably an acceptance and an admittance from Marco that we're probably not as good as we were last year. And there's a bit more of a pragmatism about us, which ultimately within games are going to mean we maybe don't look great, but we are still fashioning results out, which is mm. is a positive. And I think the, the biggest hope for for progression this season is is getting players back from injury and hopefully, although it, we rarely succeed, a little bit of extra business in January just to bolster this squad. But I don't think we're going to be the consistent team we were last season where when you turned up, you know exactly what you were going to get from Fulham, which was high intensity from minute one. We were going to ruffle feathers. We were going to play lovely, quick football. I think there's there's going to be quite a lot of games like Brighton, like 
Arsenal away where, you know, at times we, we just had to guts it out. And, and games like Luton and Sheffield United where we just eke over the line. I don't think we've really got it in us to string together the runs of wins that we did last season. I think where the inconsistencies also come from is this hangover from the summer. I feel like I talk about this a lot on the pod, but it was actually mentioned by Marco after the game. And he was like, you know, it was such a difficult preseason and it was just not the, not what you want as a manager um, that we're that we're still kind of recovering from that. And, but what he did say is, is that, you know, now, I guess, from signing his new deal, that he feels this lot of players have really brought into what, his, you know, his long-term project, wider project. And he says, you know, we're growing more and now I want to start seeing a reaction. So I think, do you think that Brighton point was crucial going forward? Obviously, Jao not getting sent off, things like that could have just completely changed the story of our season. I do think getting that point at Brighton, you know, there were questions asked after the Tottenham game. I think now we are going to push on in in the next load of games. Elizabeth, do you feel perhaps that the fact that if if you look back at the last two seasons where we've been incredibly successful, the one of the key things has just been how generally we had the starting lineup that we knew was our strongest. And unless you had injuries or suspensions, very rarely did that core kind of, you know, did we deviate all that far from, from that kind of core? This season has not been the case. I feel like we still don't really know what our strongest starting eleven is. Does that does that concern you at all? I'm not sure I agree. I think we know in most positions what our strongest eleven is, um, bar up top. But like perhaps that's because we don't have a strong st- striker option. Well, that is because of that. Um, but I do feel, aside from like the Awobi Reed question slash Awobi Pereira question, I do feel like we kind of know it's just the injuries have slightly curtailed what um you know what we would like to be seeing on the pitch but I don't think that flexibility in that rotation is a bad thing at all in fact I think if we were doing well and like playing really well the whole time and being quite consistent um we would be saying describing that as one of the like great um denoters of our success at the moment the fact that we're able to sort of be flexible and bring in a way be for in the number six or bring in a way be in the further forward or whatever. I don't know. Um, sorry, it's not a very succinct answer to your question. Um, but I do think that I, d- I don't think the flexibility is what's holding us back basically. Yeah, fair enough. I, I totally see where you, where you're coming from there. I was just, uh, I mean, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Cause you know, you, you put together a, a, a good win and our flexibility is one of our greatest strengths and you go for a spell where you know it's looking a bit sort of dry and uh, toothless and then all of a sudden that's uh that's a criticism but no I think you know with with everything there's that, that element of nuance and as you said Dan you know this team is still bedding in you know we've got a lot of new recruits still relatively early in the season so probably not one to be too worried about just yet. Just before we go to the break can we just do a little Alex Iwobi loving because I thought he was brilliant. <laughs> I thought he was so, so good yesterday. And the fact that he played in three positions across 90 minutes showed 
part of the massive value that he provides to this team. You know, he started in that 10 role and was the best thing about us in possession in that first half. He linked the play well. He is a fantastic technician, great with the ball at his feet and drives us up the field really well. Second half, when we're chasing the game, he drops a little bit deeper, plays alongside Polina, again, drags us up the pitch, puts in a really good shift in and out of possession, actually. I thought he was good defensively as well. And then with a few minutes to go, drifts out to the left wing so we can bring Tom Kearney into the middle of the park. And I thought he was fantastic. Uh, and I'm really, really happy that this transfer seems to be working because I had high hopes for it. And so far, Iwobi has really proved that actually 22 million is not bad value for what he brings to this team. Nah, I totally agree. Is, would you guys to say, the most important signing we've made? We made this summer? Yeah, I would say so. Just his versatility um, offers us so much. Um, and another, because um, he, he was in coming interviews after the match, um, talking about where he prefers to play, says he prefers to play down the middle. Um, just trying to think what he was saying. But he was also um, saying, again, Marco was the reason that he came in. Um, so hats off to Marco again for being the gel that seems to hold this together and give us kind of any glimmer of hope I guess but um yeah fantastic signing and I just love how he kind of um creates that link between attack and defense and just gives us so much security in that sense and he's just a joy to watch and the build-up to that goal um just so exciting and yeah so so great to have him as part of the team yeah he's unpredictable he's able to beat that press I also think on Awobi, um, last season we were a Polinia, a Reed, or a um, Pereira injury, like away from, not crisis, but getting close to that. But with Awobi, we have that backup now in all those positions. It makes it feel a lot calmer. He's just great to watch. He's got that unpredictability that just means that, you, you know, any minute something, he could create something, create a goal. And yeah, no, he, I thought, I agree with you, Danny. It was, it was superb on Sunday. Right, that'll do for part one. Don't go anywhere because we'll do a quick Ipswich preview followed by your questions. Hello, it's Sammy here, and this episode of Fulhamish is supported by NordVPN. Now, NordVPN is a way of watching sporting events, TV shows, and films which aren't available where you are by switching your virtual location of your phone, tablet, or laptop to a country which is particularly perfect for those 3pm kickoffs which aren't televised in the UK. And right now, you can get an exclusive discount by going to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish. Not only will you benefit from their already huge discounts, but you'll also get an extra four months for free. You can use one account on up to six devices. Also, it's completely no risk thanks to Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So to get that special rate plus four free months, go to nordvpn.com slash Fulhamish or hit the link in the description of this podcast. It's the Fulhamish podcast. My name is George Cooper. I'm joined by Dan Cook, Elizabeth Barnard and Isabel Barker. Right, we've got Ipswich, the Tractor Boys, in the Cup on Wednesday. Elizabeth, how are you approaching this Carabao, you know? I mean, I think the sentiment around like a lot of the fan base from what I've seen is, let's, let's go for it, you know? It, we look as though this season's going to be defined by, quote-unquote, you know, mid-table mediocrity, <laughs> even though I really hasn't say that because staying up is just huge for the club and but you know what I'm trying to get at a little cup run could turn the fan base's expectation from okay this is a bit of a boring season to oh okay so all of a sudden something a bit exciting are you are you one of those people yeah I 100% am um 
And I also feel what we've already done in the cup has been quite impressive. Like we beat Spurs, who are, I think, still unbeaten in the league. Um, We, like, dispatched with Norwich fairly comfortably. Um, Ipswich is a tough test, but this season we're not going to be playing for maybe even the top half. We're definitely not going to get into Europe. So why not give it a go in one of the cups? Give us something to dream for. Yeah. I mean, you said that no pushovers. Dan, have you been, I know you've been quite impressed with Ipswich this year and what they've been doing in the championship. Do you expect it will be a tough game on Wednesday? Yeah, no, of course it's going to be a tough game. You know, Kieran McKenna has shown that he is one of the, you know, as everyone says, one of the, the best young managers about at the moment. And a lot of people are pretty confident in the fact that he will be a Premier League manager, whether that be with Ipswich or someone else, it's probably not long until he's managing in the Premier League. And it's all the more impressive that they're they're doing this having instantly come up from League One. Like that's that's really quite a tough jump. And there are a lot of teams that yo-yo between League One and the championship. So to come in and just bulldoze your way to second in the league is is very impressive. What I will say, and I, I was saying this at, at the Brighton game yesterday, we do also have to, as, as a positive to look at, it's quite a gulf between the Premier League and the championship. The three promoted teams from last season, so your, your Burnley, Sheffield United and Luton, have shown how hard that step is. You know, Ed, you look at Burnley, who blew away the championship last season, and how tough they found it in the Premier League, and that's after a summer of making a lot of signings. We really, on paper, this this we are still massive favourites, and whilst I expect Ipswich to be impressive, if Fulham apply themselves properly and put out a strong eleven, we should still be comfortable favourites in this game. But obviously, this is a, a big game for them. But again they've got aspirations of their own in the league, which we actually have less so, you know, and if, if you were to ask an Ipswich fan, would they rather a quarterfinal of the Carabao Cup or being in the Premier League? I think that's a no brainer. And we know how many games there are in the championship. We know how it wears on legs. And so Kieran McKenna is going to have to be careful with managing his squad as well. So I would say that I, I would still expect for them to win this, but it's by no means a given because they're a very good side. Is from how your time sort of speaking to Mark in press conferences, have you got any gauge from him about how he's treating the cup, the approach that he's taking? And ultimately, how do you think we will face up against Ipswich? Do you expect a pretty strong uh, starting eleven? To be honest, there's been so much doom and gloom about strikers and hangover from Metro that I don't actually really remember talking to him much about the cup. But like looking from it from a perspective in the sense that a lot of players are yet to bed in and things like that and getting that really crucial point at Brighton you would think that this is a, a brilliant moment to you know push on get a great result against Ipswich who aren't going to be a walkover you know they just had a really um close thrilling I think it was like a 3-2 win against Plymouth kind of both teams showing why they had such good previous seasons so it's going to be a hard game but um a chance to maybe give some players a bit of inject a bit of confidence into them you know have have a good result and see what our best kind of um, arrangements and combinations are and and, and push on from there. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure yet how he's going to approach it, but I think it's a really good chance to kind of continue a good bit of momentum. It's one win away from the quarterfinals, right? Two, two wins from a two-legged 
semi-final, which I would argue is better than a semi-final at Wembley. Why would you argue that? It's just, it's just great, isn't it? I mean, it's like, I think I said it on the a recent pod, it's like being back in the playoffs. You yeah. know, that two-legged play over a couple of weeks, you know, we, we get a, you know, who knows who we could get, but we've got a chance at the cottage, potentially a game or two games away from Wembley where we can, you know, really get about it. And I think that's, you know, there haven't been a huge number of games in, in recent memory at the cottage that have had actual jeopardy behind them in, in actual like, oh my God, if, if we win this, this is massive. So I think I would expect an atmosphere akin to Derby at home. You know what, four years ago, five years ago, we're we talking. So that's that's the sort of the way I'm looking at it. I, I would love us to hit that semi-final because also they're going to get rid of them in potentially. And so the opportunity to do a two-legged semi-final is, a, is great fun, I think. Yeah, no, it would be, would be great fun. Right, I've got a question here from Simon B regarding um, sort of link to the Ipswich game. I'm going to ask it to all of you because I thought it was quite fun. Which would you rather win if you had to lose the other? Ipswich or United? I'll start with you, Is. Which would I rather... So what? So beat you can, United in Prem or... So if you beat United in the Prem at home, you lose to Ipswich or you beat Ipswich but then lose the, lose the United, which would you take? Because obviously it's like being United at home is massive but then you'd sacrifice a potential Carabao Cup run or... Do you go for the cup run and think, oh, well, I'd go, I know what, I'd go for the cup run. Um, I feel like you can feel the excitement in a club like Fulham with a cup run because like, even in the press conference room, there's like a massive picture of um, the Aston Villa uh, playoff final. And like Marco often looks at it when it's a press conference about a cup run because you can just kind of feel that excitement within the fan base. Um so yeah, I'd take the L against Man United. I mean, there's going to be more in the future. So what's one more L <laughs> against United? I'm not that bothered. <laughs> Were you in agreement with this, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. And I have a feeling, without wanting to speak for Elizabeth, but as we were waxing lyrical about her book of results, Manchester United at home is by no means a must-win game. However, a potential quarterfinal in, in the Carabao Cup, you've got to win the round before it. So even though that's not in the book, that is a must-win game. So give me a win at Portman Road and a loss at the Cottage and I'm happy. <laughs> Elizabeth, just to uh, check yeah. in, agree? Let's go. Let's three go. for three. Full house. Three, three, three. yeses. Um, you three to the next round. I think I hate Man United as much as anyone who grew up in the noughties does. Um, and like... I hate their squad. I hate their manager. It would mean so much if we won. Um, but you can't, you can't turn that, you can turn that down for a cup run, I think. Mm, no, I agree. And let's face it, man, you at home, we're going to lose exactly the same way as we did last year. We're going to fight valiantly and they're going to get some shitty goal out of death and we're going to beat the short side let's, let's go for let's go for the cup run i think right i've got some of your questions now thanks to everybody who got in touch this is from a combination of our telegram and twitter so we've got mark who got in touch <laughs> to ask when did brighton supporters become so entitled some of the comments on socials were hilarious like they thought we should just roll over and let them win by three or four football doesn't quite work that way yeah when when was this moment where you know Brighton sort of did develop this entitlement because it is it is kind of there. I feel like it was when Graham Potter kind of had his glow up. 
When was that? Maybe like two seasons ago? I would argue but, that um, Potter's glow up was after he moved to Chelsea and started obviously shopping on the King's Road. And uh, <laughs> All right, he wasn't visually sexy, but he was playing sexy football. So that kind of Got you, up. all right, okay, okay. Yeah, and then, yeah, I think that it was around then. It was so funny when the Brighton fans were chanting, same old Fulham always cheating, and then Polinia <laughs> scored. And Jim was behind me and he was like, same old Fulham, always scoring. <laughs> Go on, Jim. Go on, like, Jim. Give it large, Jim. <laughs> oh, what a moment. What a moment. Honestly, I, I do get it. And there is an element of me that understands their stance because whilst we've not been in the same situation in the Premier League, we've certainly been in the same situation in the Championship where we played lovely football and we'd turn up and we would just get shit-housed by a team that are worse than us. And it used to be incredibly frustrating. And we used to get on our high horse and say, oh, I can't imagine wanting to watch football like that. But I think there is that this <laughs> this is a really big jump from a Brighton team that who have been in our situation in the very recent future. In the very recent past and could be in the future. This is you know, that's the the point is that for teams like Fulham and Brighton, there's actually only so much Premier League prolonged success you can have. There is always an end point to our, our time as, as a, a stable Premier League club because we simply don't have the finances that other teams do to consistently lob money and stay in the league. And I think then there's a, an element of perspective needed from Brighton fans because they know what it's like to be like us. And we know what it's like to be in Brighton's position where we're, we're sitting in a really good place in the league having previously struggled. And so I think that there are some lessons to be learned for Brighton fans and there will be times when they're brought back down to earth by teams like us you know there's every possibility that they rock up at, at Kenilworth Road for example and just get lumped off the pitch but that is the Premier League you've got to have both sides of football not everyone can go out and play total football because actually that also leads to quite dull games you need the the, the evil and, and, and the good on both sides of a game to actually make a contest of it. Because if we'd have gone toe-to-toe for Brighton, we probably would have lost four or five nil. And I know that's what Brighton fans want, but we're simply not going to do that. And they need to know that. There was a funny quote that I saw from a Brighton fan on Twitter who was responding to us, uh, you know, poking fun at the Paulinia, you know, just, just adding like fanning the flames essentially. And uh, he said, stop trying to force a rivalry with us. <laughs> I'm like, for Brighton to say that. <laughs> with, their, with their like quote unquote rivalry with Crystal Palace, which is the most fabricated rivalry in, the, in football, to then accuse us of trying to fabricate a rivalry with them. It's like, oh, give over. Not at all, not at all. It is fun that their bogey team is Fulham. Like, that's pretty fun. <laughs> Yeah, that's grand. It's good being a bogey. It feels team. like it feels like we've got like a load of bogey teams, but not many people would say that we're theirs. And it's great that it's it's someone like Brighton. I don't know why it's fun, but I love it. <laughs> got a question here, Elizabeth. I'll chat to you from Will. How likely do you think it is that other clubs will be interested in Leno? He's probably the next most crucial player in our squad after Paulinia, right? First of all, I. 100% agree with that and you look at the analysis that's done on how Fulham have performed this year and last year and the amount of goals that we've our XG going against us is far greater than what we actually concede and a huge huge part of that is obviously down to uh, Bernd Leno who've got in goal 
I wouldn't be surprised if if other bigger clubs swoop in for him. He signed a three-year deal in 22. So next year will be the last on his current contract. I believe we also have a an option to extend that for a further year. But I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Would you, Elizabeth? Um, I think so, a little bit. I think the keeper position is interesting one because um, obviously there is only one keeper well there are backup keepers but there's one keeper and like you can see it from what Arteta said recently he said he was going to sub out the keepers and that's just not happened that's not going to happen he's going to have a number one um so I would be a little bit surprised if a top six club say came in for him because a he's been there and done that but b they are I don't think that I think they're looking in like different markets they're looking for someone who's a bit more up and coming who or who's already playing at an elite level rather than like Fulham's keeper maybe I'm just being hopeful um I I do think maybe there's a slight concern that he'd be pinched by someone who's a little bit better but not top six someone like Villa um but a lot of these teams have really established wonderful keepers already so I don't know. Maybe I've just got a false sense of security out of hope, but I think we're probably fine for now. Um, I think with Leno is, um, again, I've said, he it, Silver signing that new deal will be crucial to a player like Leno and how long he stays. Um, Le- um, Silver was the reason he wanted to sign, um, brought into Silver's project. Um and instantly just felt at home at Fulham. He said it's, you know, that got a real family feel at the club and it's something that he really likes. Having gone through the difficulties of his time at Arsenal, I don't think Leno would will move on anytime soon. He's really enjoying his football at Fulham. It's been a great place to kind of pick up the pieces of his career and start a new chapter. And, and I, the only reason I would see him leaving is if Silver at some point left. Um, but I think we'd be all right with Leno. Is I just wanted to ask you about this question that we got from Charlie Boy. Interesting, Marco said he was only going to make two subs at halftime, but then changed his mind from the reaction of his halftime team talk and made three. Did you pick up on this in the in the post-match press conference that he said that he was only, and then there was this reaction following his team talk and then decided to chuck a third in? Did you Did you pick up on that? No, I didn't. That's a great spot. Um, this wasn't discussed or anything like that, but I think it's a really good point because that triple sub was kind of one of the biggest turning points of the game, I think, just injected that creativity. Um, I'm, I am I don't know any more details on it. Um, I guess, obviously, Vinicius wasn't even in the squad, was he? Um, I think it's like a minor injury or something mm. like that, so he wouldn't have been available to come in, but... I don't know why it changed, but um, yeah, no, it's a really interesting point. I saw I saw this question on Twitter, and my my assumption would have been that it was Raúl who was originally not marked as someone who would be coming off in that initial two sub two person substitution because the other two subs made complete sense to me in sense of like the, I, I me and Sammy were pretty confident they were coming because it was Harry Wilson coming on to give us a little bit more of a, a directness. And we were no long, longer looking for Bobby's hard work out of possession. We were looking for Harry Wilson's creativity and, and ability to drive us forward. And Andreas Pereira to come on for Harrison Reed again, to give us a bit more on-ball quality to drive forward. And I think the, the Raul substitution comes from Marco Believing as as I do that Raúl Jiménez is a better footballer than Rodrigo Muniz, but 
the he just wasn't applying himself and, and i think he'll have just seen something that seen it and decided i i can't stick with this we need something else and i i, I said it on twitter that triple set and as this is said that triple changed changed the game that triple sub mm. changed the game and it was brilliant from marco and i think there's a lot of credit to be given there because it took roberto de Zerbi, famously a fantastic tactician quite a lot of time to react to it and work out how to fix it. Cause there was for 20 minutes there, I thought we were swarming all over Brighton and Marco deserves credit for that. Cause we're quite quick to criticize him for not maybe changing things quickly enough in game, but he got it spot on against Brighton. He's a genius. He's a genius as the old song goes. Right. One more question before we finish up today and I'm going to turn it on its head and uh, throw it to my lovely panel. So Sam, Purcell has got in touch to say, can you please do a shout out to see if there are any Fulham fans currently in Vienna? Now, I know Sam's from the States himself, so I assume that he's uh, he's out there on uh, on holiday and uh, this was sent in via our telegram. Uh, I just wanted to ask, like, what is the, what's the strangest place in the world that you've bumped into a Fulham fan? And you've thought, oh, how, how nice. And there's a, there's a special connection that, that, that goes when you meet out of context Fulham fans, you know, and you're like, oh, okay, cool. Cause there's not many of us on a global scale. So, uh, if any of you have any, any that spring to mind, I know is, didn't you bump into one at a festival this yeah, summer? Yeah, I think it's when you're like mash up at a festival and you see someone <laughs> in a Fulham chat, you're like, oh my God. And yeah. then you just have a massive deep chat about Fulham and like take a picture and you're absolutely wired. Like 4am at Shangri-La at Glastonbury and you're talking yeah. about whether Marco's going to pen a new deal or not. And <laughs> see your new best Marco. friend. <laughs> But actually, a funny story is my friend is like um, in the army and um, travelled all the way to Kenya and like a kid had um, was a massive Fulham fan and so was his friend and they had took a picture in a Fulham shirt in like the village in Kenya. Um, and so there's Fulham shirts everywhere all over the world. It's pretty mad. It's such a nice picture. Mm. I, I, I can give one that's maybe the opposite as like the most logical place to bump into a Fulham fan outside of football context was this summer on a plane. There was one sat next to me and also a kid two rows in front who was not linked to, to the person sat next to me in a Fulham shirt, but we were on a plane back from the Cote d'Azur and that felt like a really like <laughs> that that's the right place to meet Fulham fans is coming back from the South of France. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The ten a penny out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Riviera, um, Wimbledon and the Henley Regatta. Uh, they're, they're just, <laughs> just te- teeming, teeming with Fulham fans. You can't, you can't move for them. <laughs> Is there any to add? Yeah, I don't think I'm anywhere any exotic. There was once, there was a um, someone who used to like drive past me and who I'd wear my Fulham top when I was in Nottingham. I used to live in Nottingham. I'd be walking along in my Fulham top and once someone drove past me, window down, this was during the lockdowns, and hooted at me and I was like, oh, go on. And then they shouted, come on, Fulham. And I was like, oh, yes, an ally. Um, yeah, it's really wonderful. I do never know what to say. Like, if you guys see someone in a Fulham top out in public in a different city, like, what do you say to them? Oh, you just do like a nod. You do the bus driver nod, like, yeah. Or, I don't know. Like, I feel like I always have to speak to them. You know, we're kind of a rare breed at times. And so, yeah, I'll always chat to them. 
Yeah, yeah. I saw a, I saw a young lad, it must have been, I don't know, maybe like 10 or 11 wearing a Mitro shirt once and he was walking on the opposite opposite side of the road. I still don't really know why I did this, but I just shouted Mitro, you know, just Mitro. But obviously like it's quite a quite a weird thing to hear out of context. And this poor lad turned around like, who's this like bloke <laughs> shouting at me? And then like, it looked quite startled. I was like, no, no, me. Like, I had to sort of awkwardly explain that I was just... You know, <laughs> acknowledging that you, he was a fellow Fulham fan, and but yeah, it was all. So you got to pick your moments because otherwise it can be um, it can I, be quite. I think quite we need, alarming. I think we need to 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 come up with something like a collective as a fan base because I like, I don't know there might be people who who listen to this podcast who also listen to Tail Enders the the cricket podcast and they have a a universal thing where if you ever bump into a fellow listener you say go well and they reply cheers. And now I feel like we need something similar as Fulham fans that yeah. can just be, you know, no, no other conversation happens after it. You're walking past each other. One person says something, the other person gives yeah. a response and that's it. Your day's made. You're both happy. On you go with the rest of your lives. There we go. If anyone's got any suggestions as to what that can be, please do get in touch. Hello at fullermish.co.uk and we'll get Sammy to read some out or we'll save them for when I'm next on. But yeah, no, what a lovely way to end the podcast and uh, thank you as always for your time. Uh, lovely Elizabeth Barnard. Thank you very much. Thank you, Is. Great to see you as always. Thanks so much for having me on. And thank you, Dan Cook. Now, before we finish, uh, we've just got to name this this little podcast, what are we going to go for, Elizabeth? We are going to go for Kieran McGinley's Gritty in Pink. Nice. Yes. Very good. Very good. Right. So Sammy will be back uh, later in the week with the Thursday Club following our Carabao Cup uh, fixture. So hopefully we'll be celebrating being in the pot for the, for the next draw. But in the meantime, have a great week and we'll see you next time. You whites. You whites. Thank you.